bad things work better online. A lot of marketing is meant to poke holes in someone, make them feel worse about themselves, like they're nothing unless they have your product. Welcome to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. I don't really know what to do with that except for make fun of it and dance with it a little bit and throw some playfulness into this whole situation because it gets really dark. In this episode, I'm talking with Abel James, a New York Times bestselling author, founder of Wild Superfoods, and creator of the Fat Burning Man podcast. Abel's had a lot of success in a ton of different fields, winning awards and recognition for his books, podcast, reality TV show, app, songwriting, poetry, and more. As you might imagine, we cover a lot of ground in this episode, including the challenges online health and wellness businesses are currently facing when it comes to censorship, shadow banning, and SEO. We thought that it was to some degree a meritocracy. And after having one of the biggest TV shows and one of the biggest like online diets and the biggest podcasts and the biggest apps all at the same time, and then Google's like, no, I'm like, what did we do? As well as how to view showing up and doing the work in your business, even when you're not seeing results. It's not always that fun. There's a big delay between the time that we do the work and the time that it pays off. But maybe most importantly of all, we talk about our role as business owners in marketing our products and services responsibly. I think we're all here to work on our soul and learn something. So if what you're doing is making the world worse, just notice that. I've noticed that a couple times in my life. As you heard in the intro, it's often quicker to abuse your audience and take shortcuts. But as Abel proves, That's not the only way to build a business, and it's certainly not the way to build a better business. You'll hear Abel's frustration when he talks about how you can put in the work and do things the right way for a long time. But then, with the switch of an algorithm, you can all but disappear entirely. While this episode ventures into some dark, almost hopeless territory at times, in the end, Abel offers a solution for moving forward. The way that we will get through this stronger is by building our way out of it together. And that's through collaboration. When you allow a little bit more of yourself to be seen, and when you put that out there, the other people who are more like you are attracted to that. To start off the interview, I wanted to know how someone who's had so much success in so many different areas defines himself. Most likely creator. I like that so much better than influencer, and it encompasses many more things than most identity or just little boxes and, and corners that you paint yourself into. So I think creator is is a good one because you could do a lot of things within it. I love that. Do you have a background outside of the business that you're running now? And you're into a lot of things now, but like, what's your background as a creator? Has that been an identity for a long time and something that's kind of defined everything that you do? Yeah, definitely. When I was seven or eight years old, I started playing clarinet. Like I would dress up in a button up like church clothes and wear a little bow tie. And I'd play at diners and I'd play during the holidays at like the little, it wasn't even a mall, but just like little shops and stuff like that. And I just, I've never stopped performing. Most of the time it's been music, but, um, or, or at least historically speaking, because I'm almost 36. So this is almost like 30 years of doing all this crazy stuff. And I see it all as almost like multidisciplinary adventures, right? And also it's, it's a way to keep your chops up in terms of critical thinking, intellectual curiosity, and also prevents the thing from happening that happens to so many people. And I'm sure you've seen this a lot, Jeremy, where you just 
Like I have fat burning man, the podcast, and that, that may be what I'm best known for. And so many people want me just to be that down to me, keeping the same haircut that I had 10 years ago and like certainly <laughs> acting the same and talking the same and doing all of this. And so I think it's really important that as creators and as people who are producing things for other people to watch and, and consume, it's our responsibility to challenge ourselves and get good at a lot of different things. Because as soon as you stop paying attention to a lot of the different things that matter, and it seems like there are too many things, you lose something, right? You lose like that, that part of being self-reliant or independent. You lose something that's critically important. And one thing that happened to me recently, at least over the 10 years of doing this various times in different ways, like offloading something like coding a website or producing the podcast and totally forgetting how to do it because you switch platforms and you switch workflows. And then all of a sudden you need to hire someone else and they don't work out and it's a huge mess. So being able to do pretty much all these things, writing, producing, editing, all of it, coding, if you have to, is really important, I think. Even if you're bad at it, that's important too. Yeah, that's something that I feel so blessed in my kind of like multidisciplinary skill set where like I can do graphic design, I can edit podcasts and video and put a website up and all these things. And I'm curious, was that just a, an offshoot of your curiosity that you were like, oh, I guess I need to build a website. I'm just going to learn how to do that. And then I guess I need to learn this thing. And you built up those skills over time. And being broke. Yeah. <laughs> being broke at the beginning, doing it all myself. Like I, I couldn't afford to hire anyone. And also like 10 years ago, I'm sure you'll agree the podcasting and certainly video production landscape was completely different, right? So me as a career musician, I had a lot of advantages going into podcasting because I knew how to turn the, and like you, I know you studied like audio engineering, right? So you love to turn the knobs and geek out on that. And so I do too, but I don't geek out on like programming websites in the same way. And I don't geek out on even honestly being in front of a camera in the same way that I geek out in other ways. And when you're a creator, 95% of the work is behind the scenes, not when you're standing in front of the camera anyway. So there are a lot of different rabbit holes and you have to choose kind of one at a time to really focus on and develop, I think. But for me, once I started working for some big companies and they're like, you should do our website. And I'm like, wait, you don't want me to do this thing. You could bill me out for like $500 an hour for you'd rather have me do your website. I started to realize how important building web pages, websites, and then eventually blogs, podcasts, social media platforms, all of that was because it is powerful. All of these are extremely powerful media in different ways, but they allow us hopefully to be more independent. Now, that's been more complicated recently with shadow banning, censorship, and some of the technocrats and tech platforms just kind of saying, you go up here, you go down here forever, no one can find you. And I've seen that happen to a lot of good people, including us on different platforms. Critique of the nearly unchecked power and influence of the tech platforms we use and often rely on to run our online businesses is a recurring theme in a lot of Abel's work, from his social media posts to his poetry. If you're not familiar with what he's talking about when he refers to shadow banning and censorship, consider yourself lucky. In recent years, Google has made a number of algorithm changes that have caused previously high-ranking sites, specifically in the diet space, with massive amounts of helpful content and credibility from people who really do know what they're talking about, to almost drop off the map entirely. This has happened to a number of our clients and has also happened to Abel. I was curious, for someone with so much going for him and his brand, what the effect had been on him. We've gotten crushed, to be honest, totally crushed, because it costs us between 10 and 20 grand in overhead, and it has for many, many years. 
And so that's a lot of $27 eBooks or whatever, right? Uh, for me, we've been doing this for a while. We got a lot of momentum in, in the early 2010s. I did a big TV show. So the wild diet was the number seven diet, I think in America in 2016. And we had an enormous amount of traffic. Our blog has tons of backlinks from extremely popular and, and reputable places. And then Google turned off our traffic. And then the social media platforms turned us off too, making it such that since like 2018 or so, we've produced over a hundred shows, new shows that we've released. And I've done more than those hundred on other people's shows. And to this day, many people are just like, oh my God, I thought you stopped doing your podcast in like 2017 or 2018 because I can't even find you anymore. We, to some degree, I don't want to say got complacent because it didn't last long enough, but like we thought that it was to some degree a meritocracy and we were building up these websites and got all these wonderful backlinks and built all this wonderful content that doesn't have swears in it and, and is very clean and family friendly and all this. And then Google's like, no. And the podcast, too, the discovery went down and has changed over the years. And some of the health shows get looped in with the sex shows. And that kind of dilutes a lot of the stuff and makes it feel weird and different. And I wonder how much some of this stuff is on purpose when I wake up in a bad mood. But most of the time, I just keep adapting and keep moving forward. So what we've had to do is move from, like, I have never paid for paid traffic or ads like aside from a tiny number of sponsored posts that we boosted and just tried it out years ago or whatever. But I, we never relied as a business model whatsoever on paid traffic, never done it before. I think it's a weird and gross game and it's, and it's often very much manipulated. So for us, we would much rather spend all of our time and all of our energy and our platform and our team making great content, writing more books, doing more research, creating good stuff. But no, I've had to over the past six to 12 months just I've read so many books on social media. I've hired people to try to figure out how do we not even find new people, but how do we reconnect with the people who already know us, who can't find us anymore? And so like we have to give the platforms that we hate with a vengeance thousands of dollars just to reach our own people. You can hear it in my voice and my demeanor that I don't like it. You know, some of these things we have to do as a business, I don't like it all the time. That's okay though. I think we have to just find a way of making this work. And you know that it's worth it if you don't cross ethical lines. But if you just kind of keep your own spiritual wits about you and moral and ethical wits about you, then no matter how things are, you're just going to keep going because we don't do this for the money anyway. Like we're going to adapt. We're going to keep doing this. Where do you think some of those lines are? And obviously this is a personal decision that everybody needs to make, but for you, for in, when it comes to ethics regarding online marketing, I know that you have some pretty strong views around a lot of, you know, spammy marketing. There are very different types of marketing and a, a lot of people just think all marketing is spammy, but I'm curious about how you kind of thread that needle and, and what is, you know, generous and feels good for you versus what might be crossing that line. Yeah. And this is where it gets tricky once you make paid traffic a part of your business model. Bad things work better online. That's one of the reasons the entire internet is a tabloid trash now, all of it. Doesn't matter where you go, it's just trash. Because people don't click on artfully produced pictures of kale and a cornucopia of veggies. They'll click on the picture of me with my shirt off or someone else in like a suggestive pose in the same way that like sexy women sell cars and stuff. And so there's this flashbang thing that works online. And a lot of times for marketers, like 
my background is studying brain science. I almost went into psychiatry and a lot of marketing is meant to poke holes in someone, make them feel worse about themselves, make them feel like they're nothing unless they have your product. And a lot of marketers are really shameless about that and crush it, totally crush it by abusing that. And that's okay, but that's hurting your soul. That's going to be bad for you later on. It's going to make it harder to sleep at night. And so for me, one of the things, and for our whole team, this has been one of the challenges. Like we've turned down millions before we ever made anything close to that. And you have to turn down way more. And you have to say no to way more, even if it is working. And scammy is in the beholder too. You know what I mean? It's like, what does that even mean anymore when the New York Times is clickbait? When nothing isn't clickbait. Everything is clickbait now. It's it's disgusting, really. It's the only thing that these algorithms seem to show you. And so I don't really know what to do with that except for make fun of it and dance with it a little bit. And so I write poetry books and satire and do some comedy to kind of throw some some meaning into this and throw some playfulness into this whole situation because it gets really dark. So if you feel like whatever you're doing is making you feel a little dark, just take a step back and stop and see if there's a more creative way of going about this. Because you can be with your leads, your followers, your consumers, your customers, your clients, whatever. You can be really abusive to that relationship and really forceful. And it's similar, like I'm a life coach, health coach, whatever you want to call it. Like I coach people, usually entrepreneurs, but it comes back to health. And a lot of people want that kind of like Jillian Michaels, biggest loser type trainer who's shouting in your face, telling you everything to do, everything not to do. And that dictatorial relationship with your client, your, your customers, your leads, whatever, it can work. But there's another way that we prefer to go in, which isn't as lucrative, but does have more viral potential and is a better way to lead by example. And that's by being more playful with with your audience, you know, like we, we post food pictures, but a lot of them are in the shape of faces. You know, like we just posted a picture of homemade sourdough with like two pieces of butter as the eyes and this big crack in the middle with a smile. And it's like, you can be playful and creative while doing cliched things as well, even if it's marketing for paid traffic, you know what I mean? Yeah. One of the things that came to mind while you were talking about that with uh, pushing the boundaries on spam and how posting a picture with your shirt off gets the clicks. I heard a quote from Seth Godin a little while back on his podcast around how if you A-B test a website long enough, you'll end up with a porn site. And this has totally. been proven in tests, which yep. is just like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. And so if you're aware of that, then you need to decide like, OK, if all I'm doing is just A-B testing to oblivion, that's what I'm going to end up with. Am I OK with that? Yeah. Or am I going to take the high road early? on and say like, okay, I know this is going to take longer. I know I might not get the immediate feedback and the, the money coming in the door immediately, but long-term, this is the kind of culture I want to build both for myself and my team, but also for everybody who's interacting with you. And I think that does pay off in loyalty and you don't need to spam people so much. Whereas if you've built up this relationship with people over five or 10 years, like you've been going a long time now and they're on your email list, probably you need to send out an email, say, Hey, I'm doing this thing. And there's people who are lined up like, yep, take my money. Like you don't need to run ads to that. So I, I'm curious if that was the the long view that you took right from the start, or was there any defining moment where you were like, eh, we're kind of going down this route. What's our, our kind of thought process around how we operate? Well, it's like the landscape has changed so many times over the years, right? I, I can think of a bunch of examples, but we tried 
kind of affiliate marketing with other partners who seemed like they were doing a similar thing to us for a while. And we had one promotion at the very beginning where like for me, if someone signs up for our mailing list, yes, they get special offers and they get messages from us a few times a week, but we're not slamming you and putting you through a sausage grinder and trying to extract value. And then once you unsubscribe, selling your data to like someone else to make extra money off of you. But that's exactly what this other company did, this other like creator. And so that made me really gun shy and not, not know exactly who to trust, not know which one of these, you know, people who want you to send for them and, and put out their offer because it's going to help people is actually trying to sell their data and not even allow them to ever unsubscribe and do all this horrible stuff. And I don't want to in any way be associated with that. But at the same time, like these people are all around you and they don't go away. They're at the top of the field in like every field. And this is why they're at the top of the field. And this is why they make more money than you to spend on paid advertising to buy your leads to buy your communities. This is why they're wiping the floor with you. And so seeing that and noticing that and seeing that happen to a lot of good people around me too, to, you know, make similar mistakes as, as we made kind of trusting the wrong people. It's a tough environment because at the same time, we we're all kind of in alternative health, finding these giant machines and big pharma and big food. And it's like, I want to rally with the other little guys, but once you get burned a few times by them, that's a challenge, you know, and still, to be honest, I don't know how to handle that because every person who comes in who kind of wants something from you or wants to collaborate with you, it's like, I don't know you, so I don't know if I can trust you. And I originally went into this with a lot more trust than I have now. And I think that's partly growing up, partially being in the health industry, the, the marketing, entrepreneurship, coaching community, that's no better. The spiritual community is no better. They're all suing each other right now, trying to take these platforms down. It's ugly. So I don't know if I have a solution there aside from it's very valuable to me. The, the reason that we got connected, Jeremy, is because a mutual friend, Jamie, got in touch and we go back many years and we've seen each other and we trust each other. And so in whatever way that shows up in your own life and business, I would say double down on those as much as you can, especially during times like these. Do you have anyone that you look to as an inspiration or kind of like a guiding light when it comes to being a role model for running your business in a responsible way? Derek Sivers wrote a wonderful book, Anything You Want, a few years ago. And he was the guy behind CD Baby, which was massive for musicians and independent artists to sell their own music. So that's originally how I knew of of him and his work. And he was like a circus clown. I think he went to school to be a musician. He was a gigging musician for a long time. Then he started CD Baby. Long story short, all these big companies tried to give him money to buy his company, make it bigger. And he's just like, no, why would I want to do that? I'm doing this for my friends and, you know, hangs it up. Eventually sells his company, I think for over $20 million, donates pretty much all of it to charity and then just like travels the world and keeps doing his thing, writing books. And I was just actually emailing back and forth because I got his new book but he hand-coded the web website and he messed it up. I ordered it, and, but it like didn't come through. So we were going back and forth about that. And that is very influential to me, right? Like to see that this, this person all these years later, who's done all these incredible things, still doesn't care and is still willing to just hand-code his stuff for whatever reason and have it mess up in front of his whole, like all of his paid customers. But you know what? I love him more because of that after this many years of following. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. I remember in my first probably three months of listening, getting into the online business world and listening to podcasts, he was on uh, the Tim Ferriss show. And at the end of it, he said like, anybody, here's my email address, send me an email, I'll respond. And uh, so I emailed him and he, we had like a, you know, five email exchange. And I was like, that is so cool. Cause <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's on Tim Ferriss show, which is a massive show. And how many people emailed him? And I was just like, wow, this guy is like you said, this guy's a role model and is doing things like in such a down to earth way. He's someone that I really look up to as well. Yeah. And so it built really on word of mouth instead of any sort of abuse of your own customers or business. You know, everyone does that and they make many, many millions doing that. But you don't have to do that. It's tempting to look at someone like Abel, who's had so much success and try and break down exactly what he's doing now or has done in the past to try and emulate that success for yourself. But that rarely works. Things change so fast that what was working even two years ago might not be working today. As we've talked about, for some niches, SEO is a prime example of that. Likewise, what's working now for a business the size of Abel's might not work for you if you're just starting out. I wanted to know if there's anything that Abel sees other business owners and creatives doing today in an attempt to grow their business that just isn't working like it used to. All of social media, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All organic stuff is being starved out right now. I don't think that will last. I think what it will do instead is spur the people who are creating a decentralized alternative to all these different networks and platforms that cannot be censored, that cannot be shadow banned, that will be a meritocracy to some degree, that will allow you to connect with the people who signed up to see your stuff. Because that's been co-opted, right? So we came onto the internet and we assumed that all the knowledge would be put there and we could find it. Instead, what's happened is everything has been intercepted and co-opted. The reliance on growing everything organically and being on all these platforms and treating it as a publishing type deal where you put out content and then you put it on all these different platforms and organically people find you and all that, that has not been working for us for like two years. It hasn't. Our reach has been decimated, not because of the work that we're doing, but because of the environment And it's not just us. It's almost everyone around us. Like our Wikipedia pages are deleted. We've been ghosted from a lot of different places. These are serious people who have real resumes and have accomplished serious things, regardless of of what you may think of their Instagram account. Like a lot of these people are legit. You just can't find their work anymore. And so the idea that you can start up this massive machine and publish out and have it work I don't believe that that's the way anymore. I think you need to find your little place to play, right, where you get it. That could be a YouTube channel. That could be some sort of social media account. could be your own blog. It could just be writing articles on Medium or something like that. All of these places have different issues. Even Reddit, you know, censorship, shadow banning, all these places have different issues. But you can find one that works for you. After having one of the biggest TV shows and one of the biggest like online diets and the biggest podcasts and the biggest apps all at the same time and then kind of being taken down for some reason, I don't know why that happened still. And I've talked to a lot of the other people who that's happened to. And I'm like, what did we do or what was the, the thing that we said? And I'm not confident that there's an answer to that. I don't think it's totally played out yet. Right. But as creators and as a community, we're going to have to figure out how to ride this out. Try to do what you can to band together with other creators, because like I said, we're not going anywhere. If anything, this is giving us more motivation to get out there and create in our own way. So don't give up and, and find a way forward. The way that we will get through this stronger is by building our way out of it. 
together. And that's through collaboration. I know you've talked about that a lot, Jeremy. I was listening to you before this. Like Abel mentioned, one of my biggest beliefs about building an audience around our work is that we need to move out of a mindset of competition and into one of collaboration with the other creators around us. The problem is that if all we're doing is creating the same content as everyone else in our niche, there's nothing to differentiate us and we get lost in the noise. This means that it's more important than ever to not simply just create content, but to develop a unique and valuable opinion and perspective. If you follow Abel at all, you'll immediately see that his opinion is a core part of his brand. I wanted to know if he had seen a correlation between being vocal about his opinions and building a loyal following. Definitely. If you're always censoring yourself, if you're always trying to please somebody else by presenting a point of view or perspective or position, then that's just pandering. That's not being you. That's not expressing a point of view. That's not expressing an opinion. That's really expressing a contrived opinion or somebody else's opinion. What's the point of having somebody else's opinion about anything? I think it's important now more than ever to get out there and responsibly say what you mean and, and be willing to explain yourself, clarify, and face whatever consequences there might be. For me, I've been shadow banned and censored and canceled on different platforms for years now. So I say whatever I want for the most part. The people who get my back now are the ones who started off by giving me hate or asking a clarifying question. But a lot of them started off by hating on me or flaming me in one way or another. And then I clarify and then we message with each other. I'm like, no, I really do want to hear your perspective. Like, where are you coming from? Why do you hate me about this? And they're just like, wow, like I was not expecting it. By the way, I've been listening to you for years. I love your show and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then it like turns into a super fan. This is interesting and kind of going further into this conversation. You've obviously had a ton of success with all these different awards and podcasting and songwriting and your web series and the TV show and uh, New York Times bestselling author. And I think a lot of people always want to look to like, what are the technical things that you did to achieve each of these different achievements? And I think people are drawn to complex people. And so often I feel like we are taught to be more just narrow focused niche, like only talk about the one thing that you're supposed to talk about. But like as humans, we all want to know interesting people. And so I think you sharing all these things, you're a complex person and, and we all are, but you're just sharing all that, all these different sides of you. And I know when I'm looking at people who I'm going to follow online, I get bored with someone if they only talk about this one thing where if they start talking about like rock climbing or like long distance cycle touring or something like that, I'll be like, oh, another one of my people. This is the person I'm going to follow now. And the more kind of like threads that you pick up and connect with that person, you're going to be like a super fan of them rather than just a casual observer. I'm curious if you've experienced that and, and built like really strong relationships outside of, you know, weight loss uh, because you connect in all these different areas with your audience. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's really neat because... At the beginning, I was uh, kind of the the like ancestral health, paleo primal wild guy, and a lot of people knew me in that niche. And in the years since, like especially the super fans, a lot of the people who follow me in the podcast and are, are most communicative are actors, comedians, performers, musicians. They're like the hybrids who realized that they had to get the health memo for whatever reason. And it's like important to their career as a performer or as a creator or whatever. So now I'm kind of like the coach to a lot of the entertainment people, a lot of them who I don't even know about, who, you know, are just kind of like following from afar. And that is so cool to me. And those are my people. You know what I mean? Like I can drive with someone actually right after this, I'm taking a vocal lesson 
with one of the vocal coaches from American Idol. That was one of the TV shows he was on. He's also just like a rock star in his own right, who found me because he had 100 pounds to lose and he was on his deathbed a few years ago and he lost over 100 pounds and I'm like his hero, he's mine, and now we coach each other. And so what I learn in my vocal lessons and when I study bebop jazz guitar with this guy who I got hooked up with over in the UK directly informs my business, directly informs what I create next and what I talk about on my podcast. And so when you allow a little bit more of yourself to be seen. And when you put that out there, the other people who are more like you are attracted to that. And maybe like all of the people who were totally into going into the gym and stuff like that were into listening to a few of my episodes at the beginning, but like, that's not really my people anyway. So like, they're not going to stick around. Try to just build that group of, of virtual people and in-person people, if you can, who share that thing with you because it's really fun to be into more than one interest with somebody else, right? Like if you ride unicycles while like baking eclairs, there are probably other people who do that too. So find them and believe that they're out there. <laughs> and I think when you do that pretty quickly, you become like the one and only to those people. There might be 500 different people who offer a very similar diet plan and advice to you. But if you're the one who is also into, you know, music or entertainment or whatever that is, it's like, oh, well, this is the only person I care about. Yeah. All of those other 499 are not relevant. I know one of the things that you talk about a lot when it comes to your weight loss program is, you know, doing what feels good, basically eating cheeseburgers and cookies in order to lose weight and doing exercises where it doesn't feel like exercise. It's something fun. I'm curious if you apply that same principle to how you run and grow your business. I would say our business runs in cycles and money comes from some places but you shouldn't try to squeeze it out of the places it's not coming from, right? So for us, we've had so many different business models over the years. It's fun to pursue new ones. It's not fun not making money. <laughs> and so it's really easy to just kind of go and do all these different projects. And if the money's coming in from someplace, assuming that it'll keep coming in. But we've had to build more than a half dozen different business models that have each generated easily over a hundred grand in, in sales, not necessarily in profit, but you know, in sales, some of them partnerships, some of them just things that we did with our own team. Some of them cost a lot of money to make a lot of money or make a little money. I would say it's not always that fun. I don't know if it were always fun, it wouldn't be that rewarding, right? Like my wife, her first career, she was on a reality TV show too as a professional video game player and she toured around doing that for a while. And so we play video games. We were playing one and it's like a an RPG that's meant to be hard and you like fight these epic battles and you lose all the time and you lose together. This game wouldn't be fun if we didn't lose. I, I think it's so much more important to challenge yourself to get beat up because you learn from the mistakes. You learn from the times that you lose so you don't make that same mistake. So if you're losing money, or if there's a piece of your business that is not working out, cool, stop doing that. Be okay with not doing that anymore. Just because something was working before, be okay killing it. It's okay to do that sometimes. That's not fun. It's the opposite of fun. And then you get a huge kick out of it when you do something else later. I'll also say this, that there's a big delay between the time that we do the work and the time that it pays off. And so like if you're slacking in your business or if you're focusing on the wrong projects or you're not focusing on, on where your money's coming from for a little while, then three, six months, 12 months later, you're like, where did all my sales go? 
how come this isn't working anymore? And it's because of not what you're doing right then, totally busting your ass again, getting everything back in order. It's because of what happened those months before. So I would say keep that in mind too, because it's not fun before you realize things like this, but once you realize them, you can adjust and be like, okay, we're in a cycle. This is one where we're putting our nose down. We're like focusing on, I know we don't like it, but we gotta do a little marketing here. All right, we're gonna do that for a few weeks. We're gonna redo our newsletter autoresponder. We're gonna figure out paid traffic or whatever we have to do. And then once there's hopefully too much money coming in so we can pay our team, then there's a little extra. Then we can pick out that other fun project or we can travel for a while, go to conferences, not take the gig. Like I turned down a gig for one day for me speaking that paid 40 grand. And I was like, nope. And it's really great to be able to say no to those things, right? That's fun. As you've heard in this episode, Abel's podcast has been an essential piece in building his audience. But you don't actually need your own show to use podcasting to grow your audience. One of the most reliable ways I've found to grow your audience fast is by leveraging other people's audiences through podcast guesting. When done right, guesting on other shows allows you to get in front of hundreds or even thousands of your ideal clients and then pull them back to your content. I've put together a free mini course to help you understand how to target the right shows for you and make pitches that actually get you booked. To sign up for the course, just head over to betterwellness.biz slash podcast guesting to get the first video in your inbox today. Before wrapping up the interview, I wanted to take an inside look at Abel's business and see how such a successful creator in the wellness space with so many diverse interests thinks about things, both on a day-to-day level as well as in the bigger picture. I started off by asking about what his team looks like. Five to 10 people at a time-ish, most of them contractors, but mostly me and my wife and just a small core team of people who have been with us for many years, doing a few hours of work a week, whether it's producing the podcast, helping with the transcripts, coming up with social media images and, and things like that, helping to edit some of the, the writing work, Customer service is a big one. Like she's been with us for 10 years now. And what I would say about the team is that it's difficult to keep good people long term if you try to occupy all of their time. It's like it's hard to have that amount of money to be able to hire them outright for that. But if you really align your belief systems around doing good work, then people can come in for the amount of work that you have for them and kind of be cool for that. And in the same way, we're not territorial about the people on our team who are working with other people, some who might even be our competitors, according to you know some people. That That's not the way that we choose to see it. And we don't really look at, they're gonna steal our intellectual property and all this, like, that's how I would suggest building a team is more like building a band, you know? The money doesn't have to be coming in necessarily. I've had some members of our team work for free without even telling us because they knew that it was a rough month or something really bad just happened. You know, that's that's and that makes me tear up and cry. So build relationships more than you build a team. Talking about shared values there, what do you feel is the responsibility of businesses beyond just their their customers and into their communities and kind of society at large? I think we're all here to work on our soul and learn something. So if what you're doing is making the world worse, just notice that. I've noticed that a couple times in my life. When I was paying off my loans after college, I took jobs in consulting, working with Fortune 500s and working with the federal government. And I'm like, even working with the Federal Department of Education, I did keynote speeches for them and all of that worked pretty closely on on some of their projects. And I'm like, oh, what if this isn't helping? 
what if all of this good work that I'm trying to do here is put on a shelf and they don't let any of the kids see it, which this has happened. So if you feel like you're in a position where it's just not quite right for your soul, like, why are we really here is a question I try to ask myself every day. It's a cliche. It doesn't change like how important it is. Chop wood, carry water and build your business that way, too. That's what I would say, you know, because making money is not hard. Making a million dollars, making 10 million, making 100 million. I've seen many of my friends do all of those things and be miserable people or be way worse off for it or make the world a worse place. I've also seen a select few do it what appears to be the right way, where they're making a ton of money and they're helping millions of people. Try to be that one, you know? Try not to make those sacrifices because they'll eat you up. And if your business isn't serving the world, just be willing to take a step back and be like, all right, how can we make this better? So kind of we talked about some of the pitfalls of the way that uh, the online world is going for specifically a lot of health and wellness businesses, a lot of other businesses as well. But I'm curious if you have anything that's really exciting to you that you see coming in the next few years or what some of those opportunities are uh, for us to take advantage of. Yeah, I had to stop mining cryptocurrency right before we started this call because I want a connection to be good. But one of the coolest things with crypto, blockchain, and decentralized internet is the last part, decentralized internet. So these are all just kind of buzzwords, and I sound like I know more about it than I actually do, I'm sure. But having experienced the past few years of the internet where a lot of good people saying important things have become impossible to find or have been ghosted or just kind of like scrubbed from the internet by unseen, unelected forces, the appeal of a platform that allows you to stream video, stream audio, deliver content, connect with communities, whatever, in a decentralized fashion that cannot have that happen to it is extremely appealing. A free internet, basically, a free way of interacting with each other, connecting with each other, and communicating with each other without it being intercepted and co-opted for marketing purposes or to change your mind about who you're going to vote for and the rest of it. We will quickly make that barbaric and irrelevant. That will be old internet pretty soon. It'll take a while and it'll take a lot of time and effort to kind of get people to adopt to these new systems. There are going to be growing pains too, but we're coming from such like a horrible dystopia that I think it'll happen quicker than most people would think. All right. So uh, last question here in reading your book of poetry, you even just mentioned the word dystopia. You have a lot of negative views around the way that society is going. And maybe it's not even I think there is some negativity, but it's more pointed criticisms of specific elements. I'm curious what is giving you life and bringing you hope these days? I love that question. Nature, honestly, it's, uh, you know, some mornings I wake up and I, and I check messages kind of early, you know, and usually I try to avoid that. But like the world is falling apart every time I do that. Every time I do that, the world is completely falling apart. However, in the time, you know, before that, when the, when the sun's coming up, I try to catch the sunrise here in the mountains in Colorado. I just love it. And I see the butterflies and the hummingbirds and all of the creatures around here, the deer. We hear the coyotes and they don't give a shit. They don't care. They don't know about any of this stuff. They're just chilling and they're doing what nature does. Things grow, they shrink, they die, they're replaced, there are cycles, and everyone adapts. There's a lot that we can learn from nature. We all have a place there. And the internet, I think, 
and social media especially, has trained everyone to feel isolated and alone and attacked. Nature does the opposite. So we try to counteract our time that you know we spend on these platforms and go outside and see the natural order of things and see the natural not chaos of nature. If you actually watch nature, we've been living with mountain lions for years, never even seen one. I've seen their prints all around us, never even seen one. But we see bears and moose and coyotes and the amount of times that I've seen violence between any of these animals is just like, I could probably count on it on both my hands and I've lived in nature almost my entire life. And it's, it's really a wonderful thing because I think that's the natural order of man and mankind as well. You know the feeling when you connect with someone who is just truly one of your people? For me, that's exactly what this interview with Abel was, and I am so incredibly grateful for the connection and the conversation that we were able to have. I love his emphasis on the value of viewing yourself as a creator, sharing his wide-ranging interests with his audience, and how deeply he thinks about business, the world, and our place in it as business owners, marketers, and people. Most of all, I love that despite all the problems he sees with the current state of the world, he has a determined sense of hope guiding him forward. I think that that's something we can all apply more of to our lives. To build off that last question to Abel, I'd really love to hear what's bringing you hope in life right now. You can head over to betterwellness.biz voice and leave me a voicemail about what that is and I'd love to feature your response in an upcoming episode. You can connect with Abel at fatburningman.com to find his podcast and books. Or just search Abel James to find out more about all of his many other endeavors. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and tell me something you took away from it. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe. In the next episode, I'll be talking with Dr. Katrina Ubell of Weight Loss for Busy Physicians about how she quit her career as a pediatrician to become a weight loss coach for other physicians and grew a multi-million download podcast and multi-million dollar business in the process. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. And until next time, keep building better.